And welcome to Mytho Ladies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. And how are you today, Zoe? I'm good. Um, I have left school. I have left school for a while. You dropped out. Time. Yes. <laughs> no, um, the semester's <laughs> over. So I moved out back home. I'm back in my bedroom recording, which means the audio might not be as great, which I'm a little nervous about, but it'll be okay. It's probably fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. We can make do. How are you, Lizzie? Um, I'm great. Um, My friend Luca, sponsor of this pod, well, patron of this podcast. Um, Our number one supporter, Luca. Exactly. With a bunch of American snacks. Which was really yeah. fun. Um, it also included, you know those Target trail mixes? No. Oh, Target has really good trail not, mixes. I not. I did not know this about Target. Yeah, they have really great trail mixes. And I, they sent me like Chex Mix. Super excited about the Chex Mix. Oh, I do like Chex Mix. Chex Mix is awesome. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Gosh, when I'm in Europe and I like am not eating, I don't have American snacks. It's going to be a rough time for me. I am able to find some American snacks. Like you can, you can find like Pringles in the grocery store. You can find like Pop Tarts sometimes, but like some things I just are have they not more seen. expensive? Yeah, like yeah, mm. yeah. I guess are. I'll have to eat fruit or something. I don't just know. kind of splurge on Pop Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where I'm yeah. at mentally at that point in time. I actually got okay. um, Kathy and her boyfriend, who are both European to try Pop-Tarts for the first time, and they were fascinated. Yeah. I think they liked them. Gosh. I remember at one time I was talking with one of some of our friends who were, um, who are European, um, and <laughs> they were talking about – one of them was visiting her family in the U.S., and she was like, yeah, I'm having a cinnamon roll. They have, like, this whole box of frozen cinnamon rolls, like, that they keep in the freezer, and then you can, like, heat it up in the oven. And the other friend was like, America's insane. And I was like, that's just normal here. What's wrong with that? <laughs> like, like we just have frozen things that you can heat up, like, in boxes of frozen things. Like, I don't know. That's just the, the American way. I don't know what to tell you. That was just... Very much I, I distinctly an eye-opening moment for me about, like, the dif- cultural differences between, like, America <laughs> and, like, Central Europe <laughs> of, like, oh, that's not that's not normal, I guess, in the rest of the world to have that sort of thing. Um, or to me, that's, like, completely normal. Like, I um, know. Yeah, that was that was a wild experience. But anyways, this yeah. is a podcast about mythology and folklore. It is. Um, um, and also a reminder that we have a Ko-fi page where you can donate to us in either a monthly or one-time donation, and we would really appreciate it because we currently do this podcast for nothing, and we, mm-hmm. if you appreciate us and you can expend it, we would love that. And we, and yeah. you also have access to our currently one bonus episode, and please and thank you. Yeah, it's and, a fun episode, um, and there's going to be more coming, so... 
Yes, very Get soon. Get your money in early, yeah. Yes, and um, so today it's going to be the first episode of June, right? Which is Pride Month. Yes, Pride Month, baby. And we are going to do women with LGBT themes for this month. Yeah. So, Zoe, you did today's episode, and who who did you do research on? Yeah, so as Lizzie and I were talking about earlier, it's kind of hard to find, like, explicitly LGBT figures in mythology, especially for um, female figures, because, like, the ideas of sexuality in, like, mythology and with, like, godly figures is just, like, such a weird thing to sort of project onto them, in my opinion, especially because mythology is old and ideas about sexuality and gender have, like, changed so much that it feels weird to, like, put modern identities on them. Um, yeah. So today, my figure is not necessarily someone who has any specific sexuality or uh, orientation, but is a figure who is considered an icon and important to the LGBT community, specifically in Mexico. And so today, I'm talking about Santa Muerte. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, do you know anything about her? No, her name sounds familiar, but I don't mm-hmm. recall. I mentioned her briefly in our very first themed episode, Women of the Underworld, um, and oh, you'll understand why okay. in a bit. Uh, but basically, she's a folk saint found in both Mexican Catholicism and neo-paganism, and mm. she is a, sort of a personification of death and depicted as a skeletal female figure wearing a long robe and generally holding a scythe, um, which represents the moment of death when she cuts the thread of life, and a globe mm-hmm. representing her power over all the earth. She can also be depicted holding scales for justice, an hourglass for time, and an owl representing wisdom in her presence in the dark, and an oil lamp representing how she lights the way. And she's associated with healing, protection, and safe passage to the afterlife, and also considered to be a guardian of Mexico's LGBT community. So. Oh, okay. That's why we're talking about her today. My thought with that so far is that death is sort of this kind of like subversive thing and so is being LGBT. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a big part. Mm -hmm. So she's a folk saint. We talked a bit about um, folk saints in the episode about La Difunta Correa. Um, But just a quick review. There's people. So folk saints are real people or mythical figures that have not been officially canonized and declared saints by the Catholic Church. But they're generally popularly worshipped among the people in particular, working class people in general, which is cool. Like, the people. Um, like rather than and they, by the church, like institutions. The church. Yeah, institutions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they exist all over the world, but they're especially popular in Latin America, in like Central and South America, um, mm-hmm. as La Difunta Correa uh, is popular in Argentina, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and scholars such as Kate Kingsbury and Andrew Chestnut. Andrew Chestnut is like the scholar on Santa Muerte. His name is so awesome. I know. I think it's so fun. Um, They say, um, quote, because, quote, folk saints, unlike Catholic ones, lived out their lives on Latin American soil. They are Mm -hmm. familiar faces among the often less relatable pantheon of official saints. Due to a mythology that is built upon cultural propinquity, they are far easier to turn to and propitiate as their realities seem intertwined with those of their devotees. In Latin America, the faithful often prefer lo nuestro, what is ours, meaning saints belonging to a given community and its culture. 
a desire for freedom of devotion without the mediation restrictions and costs of clergy. So that's a long quote that talks about basically why folk saints are particularly popular in Latin America and also their, you know, popularity in general. Um, they People will feel closer to people that have similar life experiences and are from the same place as you. So many Catholic saints are from like mm-hmm. Europe. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if you grew up in Mexico, you don't feel particularly close to that. Um, and mm-hmm. you would want to feel closer to the people who grew up around you. And folk saints are a way to, like a, like a figure that you really are meant to feel close to. Yeah. And also um, Kingsbury and Chestnut point out that since folk saints are not canonized, people feel less ashamed of their sins and transgressions when praying to them and feel more like it's easier to communicate and connect with them. So because they're not like canonized, they're seen like less distant and holy and more like people you can talk to, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever um, level that means to you in a religious way, which is really interesting and I think pretty cool. Um, and they're also often considered more a- amoral than canonized saints, and they can be solicited for negative things as well as positive things. So, like, you can pray to a folk, folk saint for something bad to happen to someone else if you want that. Whereas, like, generally, you don't do that. That's generally frowned upon for, like, a canonized saint. People probably still do that, but it, you're, you're not supposed to. Um, <laughs> yeah. And folk saints are often people who die tragic, untimely deaths. However, in Santa Muerte's case, she is the embodiment of death herself. So, very cool. Um, also, her name could be translated as, like, Saint Death, as, like, Saint Named yeah. Death. It could also be translated as Holy Death, like, Santa meaning holy, which mm-hmm. I think is an interesting um Yeah option yeah so unlike many cultures and many parts of mexico death is viewed less as the final end of life actually i really could say like unlike many cultures but also like many other cultures yeah <laughs> in many parts of mexico this is not uncommon it's just different than it a really lot of, isn't like, institutionalized views of yeah of death um particularly in like christianity for example i mean sort of Definitely. not really i feel like it's kind of complicated but anyway um Death okay, is viewed less Catholic. as the final end of life, but more of a liminal space where life can begin once again. And yeah. um, Mexico is a place with relatively high murder rates and death. So there's just a general view of death being the only thing guaranteed in life. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, worship of a saint who embodies death makes sense. And these beliefs are reflected all the way back to pre-colonial times with Aztec mythology, the gods of death in Aztec mythology and who we talked about in our woman of the underworld episode um were not just associated with death in the underworld but also fertility and sort of like birth and stuff um which yeah. is really interesting um so they were not like life and death were not seen as mutually exclusive things they were seen as like things that sort of existed simultaneously like they had to exist together and death can like lead to more life and stuff or it's just like the end of one part of life yeah um and also it can be seen um in mishtek mythology with the death goddess lady nine grass um she's depicted as a skeleton like santa muerte but she's also shown to be like life-giving like she'll bestow life as well as like mm-hmm. be a like a a psychopomp someone who takes you into the underworld and the fun fact, this is sort of not super related, 
But actually, no, it is related. These gods presided over a period of memory and funerary worship that generally occurred around the end of August, and the Spanish colonizers and their efforts to suppress indigenous religion moved it to the beginning of November in order to syncretize it with the Catholic holiday of the Day of the Dead. Oh. And I also feel like the idea, like the way that the Day of the Dead is celebrated sort of shows this idea of like life not being the end, because it's sort of a way of like celebrating with your ancestors, Mm -hmm. like their lives and like sort of being with them again in that moment, if my understanding is correct. So it's also sort of shows that view. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like the ideas of death that we're like coming to when we're talking about uh, Santa Muerte. And yeah. So the historical origins are debated. No one really knows for sure where she came from. That's okay. Um, one belief is that she originated in Spain with the Hispanic saint San Pascual, who spread Christianity throughout Central America. There are other beliefs in this general school of thought that include the idea that Spanish colonizers introduced the idea of a holy death, which she embodies. Um, However, most people believe that her worship is a continuation of an indigenous spiritual practices dating back from the pre-colonial Aztec empire, as I sort of talked about already um, with the Aztec gods of the underworld. And it's argued that her worship is a result of syncretism between indigenous religions and Spanish Catholicism, as we've seen happen many times. Um, Mm -hmm. throughout this podcast or to forced conversion. And in particular, Kingsbury and Chestnut argue that she is a syncretism between indigenous death deities and the Christian concept of the Grim Reaper, which became a popular personification of death in Europe um, during the Black Death, which was actually a period of time... Is the Grim Reaper Christian? I mean, it's like a figure that was in Christian society, you know? Like, society was so heavily, like, christian majority and ruled by the church in like certain ways and like the until like the renaissance and even like far after the renaissance i feel like in europe for the most part that it was just you know a cultural idea that existed within a christian frame of a christian idea like a christian worldview okay but there's not like grim does that make sense bible or anything no no okay no it's just like it's like more cultural yeah, it's more of a cultural thing that existed within, like, Christian cultural worldview. And it actually, he actually um, became a popular symbol and personification of death and art during the Black Death, um, which was happening around when Spanish colonizers first started heading over to um, modern-day uh, Central America. And so um, the idea that they have is that they brought those like images with them and there was this, you know, sort of syncretic like um yeah. process. Also, there in Spain there exists a female p- counterpart of the Grim Reaper known as La Parca. Um and so it's basically believed that the indigenous people sort of interpreted her um as sort of like a saint to worship, or they pretended to worship a similar figure in order to disguise the practice of their indigenous religions. Or they and and also, like, in general, just syncretized figures together, as sort of happens yeah. in this process. Um, yeah. It very much does. But no matter what the ultimate reason was, what we know for sure is that there are several skeletal saints in Central and South America, including Rey Pascual in Guatemala, San La Muerta in Paraguay, and, of course, Santa Muerte, um, who is interesting because she is the only female one. Oh, and um, the worship of these saints was often not really pra- like in favor favored by Spanish colonizers. They were often punished by for worshiping 
the Saints um, because both because I think mainly because it um, showed a continuation of indigenous religious practices, which was not what they wanted. Also, like you're not actually supposed to worship saints in Catholicism, which we are going to talk about a bit later. Um, oh, because th- yeah, because that's they're not God, you know. Oh, okay. Like so you pray to them, but you don't worship them. them, but not worship them. Worship is for God and like Christ. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. Yes. Got it. But after the independence movements of Latin America, her worship was more confined to the shadows until the mid to mid 20th century. But now in the 21st century, her worship is considered one of the fastest growing religious movements in North America. So how was she worshipped? Well, some early forms of worship saw the use of something known as the death cart, which is a lovely name. And it's basically a contraption filled with rocks and a figure representing death was placed on top. And then a member of the worshiping community would pull the cart in an act of penitence. Wow. That sounds painful. Yes. <laughs> Correct. I guess the point of penitence, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the point of penitence. Um, <laughs> suffering. It's all about the suffering, Lizzie. Um, and this originated in Spanish Catholic worship as part of like a reenactment of the Passion of Christ. But later, the figure on the cart was not Christ, where it used to be Jesus being pulled around um but a syncretization of the christian figure saint sebastian and indigenous death gods um they were could be known as doña sebastiana which is like a female form of uh, saint sebastian and also santa muerte as we said she is worshipped at public chapels and shrines as well as at personal private altars in one's home Offerings to her generally include alcohol, usually beer or tequila, chocolate, candy, flowers, cigarettes, and glasses or bottles of water because she's said to be constantly thirsty. Oh. Um, and she's considered to be a saint of the outcasts, those who exist at the margins of society. And so that includes people such as migrants, inmates, lawyers, and of course, the LGBT community. Lawyers? Yeah. Well, so like sort of people at the, who exist at the edges of different societies. So, like, lawyers sort of, I think the idea is lawyers exist between, like, the guilty and the innocent, you know? Oh, like, the okay. criminal world and the innocent world. They're, she's also, like, worshipped by police officers sometimes, too, which is very interesting. Um, and, like, prison okay. guards for probably similar reasons. And those who okay. worship her, as well as, like, her official church in Mexico will perform religious gay weddings, which is great. Aww. Um, That's so nice. Yeah, and she's a protector of women and children, and this is pretty significant in Mexico because Mexico is a country with pretty high rates of femicide, unfortunately. Um, Mm. And so her protection, obviously, is really important there. And people will petition her with matters relating to love, asking for hearts to be mended or broken. And that sort of involves some syncretism with Spanish love magic, potentially. Um, the worship can include red candles, which are calling for her protection as a woman or for her power and love, um, and black candles, which generally occurs when asking her for protection from harm or inflicting harm. And as is the case with like syncretic religion, she has been further syncretized with other religions, like, uh, for example, Santeria, which is mm-hmm. like a Cuban religion, um, has sort of there's some uh, Santeria influence on some of her worship. She is, um, in some beliefs, she has influence over the seven powers, which are based on the seven powers of Santeria, which in turn comes from the most powerful Orishas. 
so she can help petitioners in seven different areas. Love, money, health, peace and cleansing, justice, wisdom and success, and protection from black magic. Oh, okay. And in worship, many devotees regard her as a motherly or sisterly figure, a family figure close to them. And so in that way, she's kind of similar to um, Mexico's patron saint, the Virgin of Guadalupe. And her worship is often conducted alongside practices of candomblé or santeria and other African diasporic um, religions. In particular, the religion Palo Mayombe, which often works alongside death and relics of death, such as bones. So it makes sense that there's that sort of syncretism there. Mm -hmm. And she's also relatively popular in like New Age religious practices and occultism. And yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. So she most likely resulted, like grew into existence um, based on like syncretic ideas and now she's like further syncretizing into different worship ceremonies and beliefs, which is cool. Yeah. Also, she's associated with Oya, the Orisha of the cemetery. So that's fun. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that makes sense. So, although Santa Muerte has been become an incredibly popular religious figure for a lot of people, she is not without controversy. Okay. So one of the reasons why she is controversial is because she's been like connected to the drug trade. Um, some prominent like leaders in um the drug trade have like worshipped her, have had like shrines to her in prison or or something, and so people are like, oh, she's associated with like drug dealers and like violence between like um, yeah. cartels and stuff. Um, which like she is associated with. Like, they worship her, but, like, she's not only associated with that. There are lots of people not associated with, like, um, the drug trade and cartels that also worship her. So, like... um, She can't help that. Yeah, you know. Um, But, so she is pretty controversial among the Catholic Church. Because of that. Partially because of that. Partially because of other reasons, which I will get into in a second. Um, but the Catholic Church of, like, the, you know, the state head of the Catholic Church in Mexico has kind of, like, condemned her worship as, like, blasphemous and bad. They don't like her. And so Manon Hedenberg White argues in her essay, Death as a Woman, Santa Muerte, and Religious Othering in Mexico, that the Catholic Church's condemnation of Santa Muerte is another example of organized religion's stigma against popular religion. Mm. So folk religion is generally viewed as irrational and superstitious while practitioners of the like religions um, like the state or institutionalized religions that often perform similar practices um, and organized religions are viewed as like rational ordered. Um, and this sort of demonstrates the power struggle within religious and spiritual spaces over what is constitutes like real religiosity. Like there's, sort of this basically the idea of like what constitutes a real religion what constitutes like a cult or just like you know folk worship and stuff which to me is really interesting because it's like a lot of the time as sort of um white argues in her like essay the person who the body that is deciding what counts as a religious body is the dominant religious body right yeah like they're the ones who are saying that this is a true religion and this is like heretical or wrong or like a cult or whatever. And these institutions are 
not without agendas, um, and their Definitely. agenda can often be to stay in power and promote their religion as the one true correct religion, which is often the case. Yeah, they can call anything with, heretical. Yeah, especially with the case with like Christianity is big, like different sects of Christianity are very big about being like, we are the one true religion, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, basically, Manon Hedenborg White argues that the fight between the state Catholic Church and the popular worship of Santa Muerte is part of a greater fight over what religions are allowed to be seen as established and legitimate, with the long established religions often marginalizing religions that they don't agree with or just don't want to, they don't want to see yeah. like more new religious movement. Um, which is really interesting. And in particular, many of the prominent practitioners of the faith, people who find like sort of comfort and solace in the worship of Santa Muerte are people who are sort of often ostracized and marginalized by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are people of color, women, and of course, LGBT people and also Mm -hmm. sex workers, too. And like the Catholic Church has really strict rules on who can take on authoritative roles in the church. Um, You have to be a man. You have to be a cis man because they don't recognize transgender identities as valid. You have to be celibate. So you can't like be married. The idea of having gay priests is like kind of weird. The church, I think the church has been like where it's allowed, but like you have to be celibate. But I think that there's still like people who are like, that's well you shouldn't be gay or like it doesn't really matter if you're like not acting on your urges or whatever you know it's still not like 100% accepting you know and also the catholic church has been a strong enforcer of white supremacy in the past and has not always been accepting of men of color and leadership roles although like that is allowed like technically now um i mean they have like literally colonized this place yeah but as opposed to the Catholic Church, which has all these like super strict rules over who can who can be a leader in worship, um, Santa Muerte has no rules over who can worship her. Like anyone mm-hmm. can worship her, anyone can do it, and she takes in everyone and offers salvation to everyone. And that's why that's that's why like people argue she's so popular among women, among LGBT people, like you know poor people, sex workers. There's like a huge she's hugely popular specifically among trans female sex workers, which is really awesome. I love that for her, and I love that for mm-hmm. them. Um, and also like it's just she doesn't have this really strict hierarchy of like doing things. You know, in the Catholic Church, there's this really strict hierarchy of like priests and cardinals and bishops and stuff and there's like no hierarchy it's all here. very can worship in their own way yeah yeah and lgbt people and like sex workers and like women can often relate to santa muerte due to her experience of being demonized by the church which is like literally what's happening yeah. like she's been officially condemned by the church and like lgbt people can relate to literally being condemned by the church and they're just so making her more relatable reason. to the people <laughs> yeah <laughs> why they're like yeah this is our gal like this is this is our our figure the woman that we yeah, want like, we like, understand you yeah. worship and she also serves as a protector against homophobia and transphobia, which love. That's awesome. She's so that's cool. amazing. And um, another thing that people have argued is that like the Catholic Church is has long had a really solid like ro- roots in Central and South America. Like the vast majority of people in Central and South America, if they're religious, are Catholic. And Mexico is a very like predominantly Catholic country. And some people have argued that, like, Santa Muerte as, like, such a popular and fast-growing movement, like, super fast-growing, 
it threatens the power of the Catholic Church in these countries that they've already always felt like they had a pretty solid like standing in. Yeah. When the church is already like losing power in general because less and less people are like religious or identifying with a specific religion. So her worship poses a threat to the organized Christian mm-hmm. church. And yeah. it's everything that it represents. And so therefore it's heretical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also I- like worshiping well, a few, like you know, it's worshiping death, which is like scary and weird for the church. I think you know the church would be like that's satanic, like you know that's bad. Fair, uh, we don't like yeah. that. Um, you know, and I think it makes a lot of sense yeah. to worship death. I mean, that's why you you see it a lot of places, not in Christianity. Yeah, I mean, like as I said, death being like the only thing that's certain about life, you know, is like yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, you're, you you're certain to, you're certain to like, die. You're certain to know people who will die. Like mm-hmm. you're certain to have experienced grief in your life. It makes sense. Yeah. Like death is an important part of life. Like it's yeah. sad or it can be sad. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. being close to death and like worshiping death and doesn't necessarily like grim. It can be like really sort of transformative. It can be like healing. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's so interesting to me about, like, the uh, these ideas of death that are very different from, like, the Christian idea of death or, like, the overall societal idea of death that we see very prominently in our society or, like, you know, American society where we're both from America um, is that, like, death is scary and a final thing and you either have to, like, not think about it or, like, be really afraid of it. Mm-hmm. But, like, that was never... That used to not really be the case. People were not necessarily afraid of death. This is like a new thing over like the past like couple thousand years or like maybe like, you know, like this is a new thing and we don't have to view death the way that we view it, you know, and it would probably be really great and nice if we didn't view death the way that we view it as something horrifying and scary that's coming for all of us, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And as like the absolute end of things and then everything is just done. Like, there's no living on after death. You know, like, I think that we would probably, that would be better for a lot of people's mental health if, like, death just wasn't viewed that way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, and the thing that what made me say it's, like, complicating Christianity is, like, you know, technically in Christianity you get everlasting life after death, you know? But also, mm-hmm. I think the reason why it's fear, death is feared in Christianity is because death is when you're, you're judged, Right. Mm. over like how well you lived your life you know yeah you know, did so everything you, everything leads up to person? that moment yeah and that's why it's still scary even though like technically you you can still live you're still living on after death but it's not like hey you died come on up like let's chill or whatever it's like no now's the time where you really like get into it you know yeah now you can either um, like suffer forever or be happy forever mm-hmm. yeah yeah And it feels like it's very, very easy to go to hell based on the Christian worldview. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that's one of the reasons why it's, like, the Catholic Church views her as, like, kind of scary. And, like, it's really ominous that a lot of people worship her because they're, like, people are worshiping death. And that's creepy and scary. But it's, like, well, the people who are worshiping her are not viewing death as creepy and scary, you know? They're not viewing Mm -hmm. death as, like, this really big ominous thing. And therefore, it's, like, not scary for them um you know and that's why i think that you know it's just these two conflicting worldviews that exist yeah but the catholic church is like only ours can exist and kingsbury and chestnut actually 
argue that like Santa Muerte sort of is a new religious movement that brings indigenous ideas around death sort of back to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That's um, definitely you know, a like threat as- to Christianity. Yeah, absolutely a threat to Christianity. And it's like, well, if you're Christian, you can say, I personally don't believe this. I believe this thing about death. Like, sure, that's your prerogative. People are allowed to believe whatever. But when you start to say you are not allowed to believe this idea, then you start to basically reenact the same colonizing ideas that were enforced upon indigenous people Mm -hmm. like a couple hundred years ago. You know, like you're just reenacting the same thing. And that's why I think the idea of like, you know, who gets to decide what religion is legitimate and what religion is just like people being weird is so interesting because there's no way to decide that. This can be very violent. Yeah. Like the way that it's being decided right now is basically like very specific um, religious institutions, probably primarily the church being like, no, that's bad. And therefore, like, we're going to just, like, you know, say it's, like, weird and creepy and satanic when it's not really any of that. It's just people finding new ways to connect with their the world around them and spirituality and often their ancestry as well. But since the church has so much sway and power, they're able to be like, that religion's wrong. We don't want it anymore. Get rid of it. Which, like, doesn't allow for, like, freedom of belief But that's sort of also like kind of what the church is about, you know, because it's like we are the one free religion and it's doesn't really allow for people to try out other things because it's like, well, you can try it, but like, just know that you're wrong, you know, and you'll go to hell. And there's only there's only one God. It's our God. And that's why it's like so hard. Yeah. But yeah. So that's why I thought Santa Muerte is really interesting. Like she's she's really like around right now. Threat to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's posing a threat right now. Like, if you go to botanicas in, like, America, you can often find, like, icons or, like, shrine or, like, statues of Santa Muerte alongside, like, you know, traditional saints like San Miguel or Mary herself. Um, <laughs> and so that's really cool. You know, like, this religious movement is happening, and I think that's really awesome. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, I think the idea of having a religion is, like, not inherently a bad thing, I think, but I think you like the idea of saying other people's religions are like bad is is wrong, and that's my hot take of the evening. I mean, if you have, if you also are part of a majority religion who, and you are looking down upon minority religions, that's like, I mean, that's impressive. It's it's rude, and yeah. Prejudiced. Yeah, it's like you don't. I feel like either you don't realize, like I think sometimes, often as individuals, you don't realize like the power that's coming from, you know. Yeah, the context like, I think the Pope, of everything that you're saying. Like, I think the Pope knows the power that he has. Yeah. But, like, if you're just an, an individual person being like, well, I I mean, I respect you as an individual. I just think it's weird and wrong. Like, that's not something you're just saying that has, like, a whole bunch of, like, power behind it as, like, a member of the dominant religion, religious exactly. force that actually determines a lot of how society functions to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you and you think it's about like you as an individual, but there's lots of historical context and cultural context mm-hmm. that's leading to you thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, can you separate Christianity from its history? Yeah, and the answer is eh? not so much. I don't know, man. And that's the source of my religious struggles. Glad we got to that on the podcast, finally. Um, 
Yeah, because religion can be like yeah. a very, very personal thing to every individual. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's great that people can find solace in Santa Muerte. And yeah. and it's I think it's really nice that she looks out for the outcasts of society. Like, that's very yeah, important. which is what Jesus did. Yeah, you know? exactly. Which, you know, not everyone in church positions of power remember. Yeah. But anyways... It is it is really interesting that people in the really, really high positions in like the Catholic Church and whatever, like they are the opposite of Jesus. They are upholding so much power mm -hmm. and oppressing so many people. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really not really I mean, Jesus was all about living really simply, right? Yeah. Like, he wasn't he was. really about he, like telling people how they're supposed to be or guess no, maybe that's not so much true, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different part, like, not so many, but there's just at least a few bits in, like, the Gospels when Jesus is, like, someone goes up to Jesus and he's, like, and they're, like, you're so cool. How do I, like, follow you and, like, do what you're saying, like, you're preaching? And he's, like, well, first you have to give up everything you own, like, all your possessions. And everyone's, like, I can't do that. And he's, like, well, sucks, sucks to suck, I guess. <laughs> and that's just interesting. I just think it's interesting. And these people are really just, like, enforcing structural power and like hierarchies which like necessarily has people at the other side like being oppressed being like subjugated yeah. Yeah. like there's no way around that if you're in this position of power you also have power over people whose lives you can make worse and that's just important to understand in general yeah i mean a lot of people don't it's understand the power that they have mm -hmm. in a good way and in a bad way yeah yeah like, definitely good power bad power you know what i mean mm -hmm. like, yeah i do but i mean it also makes sense that the catholic church would hate this saint that like stands up for lgbt people like that yeah. i mean i don't think that all like that all christians or like that all like parts of christianity are necessarily like homophobic or anything like i think no there like there are sects of christianity that are more friendly to lgbt people than other sects of christianity yeah, like, I'm not um, going to say that about the entire religion or anything. I mean, obviously. But, like, but, these people in, like, lots of, like, the really, really high positions of power and the people who are, like, connected to, like, conservative yeah. ideals. Like, they would hate that there is people worshipping this woman who is pro-LGBT people. Yeah. Even though that kind of goes against Christianity, I feel like. Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah. You're supposed to love people and accept people. <sighs> but yeah, that's the end of my notes. Yeah, but she sounds really cool. Um, I think it's cool that she's a skeleton. Oh, that's um, true. That's very cool. Big fan. And so was La Ciguanaba, kind of, sometimes. She was yeah. a skeleton horse. Sometimes she was a skull. skeleton, you're right. Sometimes yeah. she was a, a, she had a skull for a head. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty rad iconography. Like, that's awesome. Anyway. Okay, so thank you so much, Zoe, for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, listen to our other episodes, donate to us on our Kofi page, and etc. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.